You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. This is Brian Burkhardt. He's on our leadership team. He is a, a theologian and a scholar. He is a seminarian, and he's going to offer us a bit of wisdom he collected on the conference he was recently at, and I'm excited to hear uh, more about it, um, and then it'll relate to how we participate in communion tonight. So here's Bryant. All right. Hi, y'all. Um, thanks for being here. I'm going to move over there, because I think the echo is pretty bad here. Um, yeah, so we're going to read the scripture from Joel 2 today. And to, um, instead of doing Lectio Divina, I'm going to read it twice, and then I would like to talk about the word that is highlighted there, spirit. Um, so let me go ahead and read this, uh, this through twice, and then we'll um, go ahead and, and talk about this word. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will pro- prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke, And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. For as the Lord has said, even among, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. The word of God for the people of God. As some traditions say, thanks be to God. I don't know if we do that very often. Uh, my name is Bryant. I use he, they pronouns. Um, it's glad to be here this week with you. Um, yeah, so I'd love to hear your... Um, I want to hear what people are associating with this word spirit. Because you see I've highlighted I put the Hebrew there. We'll get there. But in our culture, in our time, when you read this, I'm curious what people um, think of when they read this. Because I think there's a lot to unpack with this word today. Uh, we got the overhead mic. You can just shout it out if you'd like. <clears throat> I think I just think of like a, some idea of some like invisible power that God like gives some sort of visceral like heightened connection to like God's work in the world. And stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought of school spirit or mm-hmm. smells like teen spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, this like mm-hmm. this, this collective sense. Mm-hmm. Everyone like feeling it. Mm-hmm. Philly's spirit. Yep, yep. Got my today. 
I don't really watch sports, but that's my contextualization. <laughs> I was thinking about um, this conversation that I was having with some friends the other day about um, vibes mm -hmm. and thinking about how like, the, the spirit of the thing is like offers us something different. I'm not going to add meaning like it's more important or less important, but it's different than like the uh, story of the thing, you know. Um, so the spirit is like the feeling, the mm -hmm. uh, the aura, you know, um, like the uh, the mood of the mm -hmm. place. Like if you walk into like a like there's some rooms that have a feel, you know. Mm -hmm. Like for like I guess now time these times if you're watching scary movies and there's like there's there's some rooms are scarier than other rooms. I don't watch scary movies though. Mm, me neither. Baseball's scary enough. It's really interesting because I think you touched on three or so different interpretations of spirit. And we're going to get into this, but I want to start. Where am I vibe? Where am I vibe? Maybe. <laughs> My vibes. We're going to start with this uh, Hebrew word that I have added. Um, the Hebrew is, okay, I don't really speak Hebrew. I'll be honest. I wish I did, but I haven't, I haven't been that disciplined yet. Um, but the Hebrew uh, word is ruach. Um, some of you grew up in like evangelical context. I know Rob Bell did a video about this like 10 years ago. Um, it's, uh, it's a word that we now translate as spirit, but it has a lot of different meanings, like, like many words do. Um, it is often translated, it is a, yeah, that's that in the Hebrew. And, okay, so these are actually the same word. Um, this is the exact word that it would be used in the Joel passage my spirit, and then you have a few extra marks there that signify vowels. But this is the general base word, ruach, which is um, kind of, it is uh, used like over, where's my clicker? Over almost 400 times in the Bible, um, and in, in specifically in the um, Hebrew Bible. And it's used to talk about kind of um, a, a breath or a wind or kind of the soul of a, of a people or a place. Um, well, no, the soul of the world. Um, or just, it's, it's all of those things kind of combined. Often it is associated with the spirit of God. Um, it's associated with God's power, God's wisdom, or God's word. Um, or it is used to talk about the initiative of God and the way that God works in the world, God's visible events. Um, uh, it's also the power of life the life-giving force that creates and sustains all things. And uh, there's also, it's seen as kind of the animating force within our bodies. In, because, and this is where we start getting into cosmology, which or like the way that we understand bodies, which I think is really interesting. Um, oops, can I get my clicker back for, real quick? Um, because in the, uh, in the Hebrew world, when this text was written, we are actually understand, oh, there it is. Forgot I had that slide. Um, the uh, presence of God, and we are actually understood. Uh, oops, Ooh, that's coming later. Um, no, 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 no. We're good. We're good. I put that there on purpose. Um, we are. Uh, I'll skip to this slide, and, and then I'll say it because we are understood to be bodies animated by the breath of God. Really, uh, the first time we see this word ruach is like right at the beginning. I think it's in Genesis 
like one, two, where God's spirit hovers over the waters. It's before anything happens. There's just this like primordial chaos and God's animating spirit is hovering over this chaos and then speaks and, and breathes into the chaos and creates all things. And it's this sense of um, God is in and through and working through all things in, uh, in the world. God has created everything through God's animating spirit. And we see this in the way that they talk about bodies in the Old Testament, something that a research project I did one time talking about um, like death rites in early Israelite civilization. They, they, they didn't understand the body and the soul as two different things like we often do now. We'll get to that a little later. They understood that your body is animated by the breath of God. And when you die, they literally would stick your body in the ground and then if they, to talk to spirits, they would like literally imagine that your body is expelling air and speaking words out of the grave. So if you wanted to talk to your ancestors, you would literally go be next to their bodies hmm. because your body would be the thing that is... Um, you're, you're a one being, your spirit and body in, in one, and God is what gives you life and what animates you. Um, it's what gives you heat, it's what gives you warmth, it's what keeps your blood flowing. Um, so this uh, biblical scholar, James Kugel, he wrote this book, The Great Shift, if you're more interested in that. Um, he wrote, um, people in the biblical time, the Hebrew Bible time, usually referred to in Hebrew as they had different understandings of a person, so you might have a heart, um, like not your physical heart, but like your mind, they would understand as your heart or your, the, the center of your psyche. Um, and um, they would have a, sen a sense of self, but like the sense of, a, a, of like a soul that like we have is something that is actually a historical development that comes later. Um, and it actually comes relatively late in the biblical period. Um, yeah, so that it, it 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 comes after most of the Bible is actually written. So once again, we are bodies animated by the breath of God in that time. And when Joel was written, that's how it was understood. Um, the Spirit of God is working in and through our world. Um, we start to see this se this separation between our body and our soul actually um, through the colonial colonization of the Greeks through Alexander. So this is a little bit later. I found this amazing chart online. There's a lot going on here. Um, but I really, I, it's like everything in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. And there's just like all these world events. Like it's a little politically motivated. Like it's uh, very pro-Israel as, as many, you know, as stuff is. It's got a somewhat literal understanding of the Torah being given to Moses. But right in this zone is right, right around Persia and Greece, specifically Greece, is when we start to see the development of a kind of a mind, a body-soul separation. Um, and we start to see, and it starts to kind of work its way into the understanding that of first uh, the, the Jews had for themselves and how they understood the world. So uh, if we go back to this, Everything starts in Greece, in Athens, and they wanted to conquer the world and create kind of one unified culture. And by unified, they mean everybody become like us. So you got to preserve your cultural norms. Um, in Hellen this period was called Hellenization or Greek um, 
colonial conquest. Like you got to preserve some of your cultural norms as long as they were able to be worked into the world system of Greek of the Greek the Greek world system. So we start to see this in um, like when the uh, right about where is it um, right around here I believe the Septuagint. We'll get to that. So a big part of this project that the Greeks were engaged in of spreading their culture is making it attractive. Like we still do this today. America's very good at this. You know, we got Marvel movies. We got we have all. We are really good at spreading our cultural practices, and part of that comes with it is our linguistic practices. Um, but also a big part of that is, is collecting the cultures that we have conquered or taken over. The Greeks also like to do this. They had this li- the Library of Alexandria was, um, it was um, initially Egypt was conquered by the Greeks. There was a whole split. A lot happened. But the Library of Alexandria is where they tried to collect all of the information of the world including all of the historic and like, sociopolitical rights of the people that they conquered. So they like, wanted to get all the Hebrew writings and they wanted to convert them into Greek because they wanted to have all the knowledge so that they could be the most knowledgeable and so they could have the most, um, yeah, they could have the best worldview. But also part of this translation process, as any of you that are multilingual speakers, you know that you also bring along with your translation some of your worldview. And you bring with your worldview new ideas. Um, so, remember we are bodies animated by God in this, underst- in this Hebrew understanding of the spirit. Well, in the Greek understanding of ourselves, we, um, and this is a very broad generalization. So any of you who know a lot about this stuff, we can talk about it later. Um, in the Greek understanding, you start to see this translation. So, like, there's, a, there's this story. I was talking about the Library of Alexandria. And they wanted to collect all the Hebrew sacred texts. So they got 72 um, Jewish scholars to come to the Library of Alexandria. And they all sat down in 72 separate rooms. And they didn't know the other guy was there. And they all wrote out and they translated a copy of the Hebrew sacred text, specifically the Torah, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And they sat down and they translated them, and then it was a miracle. Every Greek translation was the same. <laughs> what, a, what a surprise. And, and in this way, like, we start to see this kind of, um, it's a little bit of a romanticization of history, where, but it also helps us get around this translation issue. Because when we translate things, we are bringing new ideas, new culture into things. Which, depending on your perspective of the Bible, could be really problematic. I think it's really liberating and freeing. Um, So in this time, you had the Ruach, um, which is this understanding of our bodies are animated by the breath of God. And now this has been translated pneuma or pneuma. Um, Something you might have heard of this... um, you have pneumatic tools. It literally, it means a lot of the same things. It means air, it means life force, but it also means um, spirit, um, the study of the Holy Spirit in um, our, in theology is called pneumatology. Um, and so this kind of, this Septuagint, that's this magical translation, um, becomes the de facto standard for basically all um, translated text, like all versions of the Bible that we have. And in fact, it was for most of Christian history. 
um, most of the last 2,000 years. And actually, I would say most of Jewish history, too. Um, this is the default text that, most pe that people are working off of. Um, so we've, we've uh, introduced a new kind of wrinkle in how we read the Bible and how we're understanding it. Um, can I get the clicker back? Sorry. Um, so we, go, we have this bodies animated by the breath of God. We are bodies and spirit in one. I'm going to keep harping on this. But then we start to see this new introduction. We are material bodies housing an immaterial soul and an immortal soul. So it becomes this kind of um, outside thing where God comes in to our context in God, enters into our, or the spirit or our souls, um, join with our bodies when we're born. And so this, like that gradient on our chart earlier, this is understood, this is complicated because it takes a long time for these cultural things to work themselves out. Um, Greek cultural influence takes a long time to impact uh, what it means to be Jewish. Um, uh, we still see this in the New Testament. Jesus is arguing at some point with a group of people called um, uh, the Sadducees and that they were more Hellenized Jews and so they believed in a heaven and they believed in an afterlife and it seems like Jesus is pushing back against that a little bit. Um, so like this is two or three hundred years after the, the conquering of, of, of Israel. So now we're reading this text, the same text. We're reading Joel, we're reading the Spirit, we're reading the Old Testament through a new lens where we now have the Spirit of God as the Holy Spirit kind of entering into our world. And then later, the, all that Septuagint, that same book, gets translated again and so into German, for instance, one of the first ways it gets translated. When the Protestant Reformation happens, the first translation is in German. And that gets translated into, into Geist. Um, which is this uh, it's word, it still has a lot of use in philosophy. Um, we talk about like the, the Weltgeist, which is like the world soul, or the Zeitgeist, which is the soul of the culture. And so in this, it becomes even more separated from our bodies. Um, we start to understand the work of Christ as coming to save our immortal souls, not necessarily our bodies. And with Geist, like, the root of Geist is, it comes from the same word that we get ghosts from. And so you start to see that spirit and flesh are not just next to each other, but they're almost at opposition. So if you're a ghost, if you're a Geist, there, there can be no flesh to it. There can be no body to it. Um, we associate ghosts with, uh, you know, like, what, are you there, Grandpa? Please stop slamming the door. It's like, why? Like, what does it mean to be a ghost? It means to be a spirit without flesh. Whereas, now Jesus might have seen that in that way some ways, but now we're introducing that, we're introducing our culture, or Western European, or Germanic European culture, into the text. All right, so, I spent this past last weekend, this is another type of spirit, beer, yeah. uh, <laughs> trust me, um, I spent the last weekend at what was called Theology Beer Camp, it was a really awesome conference. It's a bunch of podcasters that I listen to that all talk about theology, and we all got together, and they made a bunch of custom beers for it, and we drank a lot of beer, and um, I got to meet and to listen to this theologian, Grace G. Sun Kim. This is her. Um, she's got the spirit in her, and in this moment, it was the beginning of the first night. Later that night, we all did karaoke, did DC Talk. Jesus Freak, it was great. 
That's me. Oh, over there. Okay. That's, yep, that's me with the glass. The spirit was in all of us. Um, we were having a great time. Um, and it was, but she gave a talk. This, all of the, everything that I'm saying so far, she talks about in one of her books. Um, and um, so she gave this talk. I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to share it with you guys today. Especially when she said, Joel 2 uses Ruach. And I was like, that's great. That's the lectionary for next week. All right. Um, yeah, it worked out really well. It might be that she was preparing a sermon on the Joel 2 at that time, but I don't know. So this is her meeting with somebody at the conference last weekend. She's actually holding two of her books that I really recommend if you want to read more about this um, or just her work in general. Um, the book I'm pulling from today is called The Holy Spirit, Chi, and the Other. Um, we'll get to the Chi part next. Um, but she also then boiled it down. It's pretty academic. It's like one of those books that costs like $80 because they printed like 12 of them. So I got some of my old seminary friends to send me a PDF of it. Um, it was very legal. Don't, uh, <laughs> this is on the internet. Grace, we love you. Um, she also wrote the Homebrew Guide to the Holy Spirit, which is, a mu- which is much more accessible. In it, she also talks about the concept of Han, which we won't get to get to today. But, it's, um, uh, uh, but ask me about it if you would like to know more about it or get the book. Um, it's this concept of um, the, the need of a people who are crying out for uh, justice when there has been a wrong and there is no justice. Um, it's collective suffering, which is really useful if you're trying to talk about things like racial oppression, the oppression of women, which she talks about a lot. Because this is what Grace's work is all about. She also wrote Invisible, which I highly recommend. I haven't read it yet, but I've listened to her talk about it a lot. She's reflecting on her experience as an Asian American woman in the world and feeling invisible. So often being Asian in America, or she's Korean and was born in Korea, but so often being um, Asian or Korean in America means being invisible. You're not on this dichotomy between white and black. And so she talks a lot about that, about being a woman in these very patriarchal spaces. Um, I highly recommend it. She's such a gem. She lives in Bethlehem, actually, um, right, right now in town, so maybe someday she can come visit us. But um, she also runs uh, Madang Podcast, uh, which is, um, I think Madang means like, it's this kind of front porch. Like um, Korean homes often have this open front porch where everyone gathers. And so she talks to progressive thought leaders and, um, and pastors and theologians. Um, really great. I highly recommend her work. I also want to say this all because these are her thoughts and I'm just doing my best to translate them to you to pass along the wisdom she gave me. All right, so for her, she wants to talk about this idea of spirit, which like we have been, like I'm going to keep hammering home, we understand spirit as this kind of almost anti the body thing. She wants to introduce um, something from her context. In Korean, it's called a... in Korean, it's called like gi, gi, I believe. Or, uh, my grasp on these languages is very bad. Um, but she, um, oh right, because for her, and I think she's right about this, all theology is contextual. When we are doing theology, we are talking about a biography. Just like when we translate ruach into numa into geist or geist, we are bringing our context into the way that we're reading the Bible. We're bringing our context in the way that we see the world. So for her, she wants to bring her context. She wants to bring in this concept called chi, 
which is um, that is how you spell that is how you write chi in Korean. That is in Japanese. Uh, I believe that's Burmese, Thai. It's this concept that is used all over the Eastern Asian world. Uh, that's Malay, uh, and this is in Chinese. It's this concept that is that grounds Chinese philosophy, and it oft and it ties together so much of this kind of global sphere of the world, um, and it also could be translated spirit. And when she says that, people get really mad at her because she has a lot of connections to Chinese religion, medicine, and culture. Um, so let's talk about that. Because there, people are worried that when we start translating words willy-nilly, start translating things like into like qi, these, these words and these symbols that have context in other places, then we're going to start losing what is distinct about the gospel. Grace wants to push back, back against that, and I think she's correct. So qi, or um, it's spelled both ways, it means like a vital heat or energy found in all things. You could say it is the animating force in our bodies that gives us heat, that keeps us alive. When we die, the chi leaves our bodies. Um, when we are, um, when we, yeah, when we die, the chi leaves our bodies. When we are overexcited or like um, when we're uh, feeling real hype, we have too much chi or like when we're very headstrong. Um, but it is also, it has these religious connotations where chi means the ultimate end or the final cause of all things. Now, a lot of people, I think we've, many of us have encountered um, this kind of concept. If, if we've seen any movies that are uh, like Chinese or Asian, um, if, we've, um, like, if we've encountered martial arts. Um, but a lot of times, especially in Western media, it gets a very... Uh, it gets really portrayed as kind of like a superpower, um, uh, which is, yeah. I mean, they, they're playing off the tropes of the genre, but then it also, like, we don't get the context of, like, it is both this, this uh, theologians would say it's transcendent, meaning it's this thing, it's this big godly thing that ties the world together. It's the life force of the universe or the energy that sustains all things. But she is also imminent. It is close to us. It is something that we use every day. So like um, when I was talking to um, Andrew Young about this, he was saying like, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying, but Qi also is like you use it every day. Like Qi charging is the wireless standard that we use to charge all of our phones. Mm -hmm. And they're like, they're very much playing on that sense of like, if you set your phone on this thing, you know, the, the invisible energy will charge your phone. Or um, Qi is... Uh, let me check my notes here. Uh, there's, there's a word like clouds are like, uh, um, clouds are like sky chi, is like the direct translation or the weather is understood as, maybe it's the weather. Um, like a balloon is understood as like a chi sphere um, because it is a sphere of air. Um, because chi also has these connotations of air, of breath, of blowing, of steam, of heat. Um, but there is also a very important understanding part of chi is that it is um, what you might call unified. It is monistic. It is a balance of opposing energies. Um, that's where we get this yin-yang symbol. Um, and 
what it really, and this really comes to play when we talk about our bodies, when we start talking about the world, because um, we have to, because it still sees the world as there is a distinct difference between like our spirit and our flesh. Like we get that. I think there's something innate about that, but instead of seeing them as different things that come from different places, the innate, the immortal soul that animates our bodies, that, uh, that kind of comes into our bodies, um, those things are tied together and it's about the balance between them. Um, and I think a lot of Western theologians and Western thinkers have a hard time reconciling um, that unity with um, their own understanding of, of the Holy Spirit and of spirit in general. Um, but uh, Grace wants to challenge us to embrace this. And uh, I think she's correct. So, yeah, an important part of that. Yeah. Uh, chi arises when these opposites are unified. When you bring fire and water together, you get chi. When you bring the mind and the body together, you get the chi. The chi is the force that flows through us and that animates us. Um, we have to choose to balance those opposites, and in that balance is where we find life. Um, yeah, so here are some of the things like, uh, you know, balloon, the chi sphere. I wish that I had, like, when you're, like, really mad, you have too much chi. Or when you're, um, yeah, when you have asthma, it's, it's quenching your chi. It's, it's, it's making you weak. Um, so finally, and, and the, when, what am I trying to say? She finally brings this all together because she wants us to look at the, the logo, the pictogram um, that, that for the word chi. So in Chinese, the words are kind of, they are descendant of symbols that mean uh, different, they're pictures that tell you about the world. And so like, it used to be that we didn't have this symbol and it was just these, because we're talking about the steam, the animating force. In fact, some people say really far ago, this was supposed to represent a fire, and this is the smoke coming off of it. That's, that's what she is. It's the, what's coming off of the heat. But then, uh, a thousand years ago, they added this symbol, maybe a little less. They added this symbol, which stands for rice, because chi is the, the steam coming off of the rice. It is the heat that is unleashed when we cook the rice, when the water and the heat are combined, and also the rice is what animates us. The rice is giving us life, it is what sustains us. Um, so we're gonna actually work with that concept. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna wait and save this explanation for a little bit. Um, and this chi is, and I, I really liked her, her section on it. If you want to, I know there will be a recording of it online, so you can hear it from somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Um, but um, yes, we are talking about the sustaining force of the universe, the sustaining force of food, and we're talking about both this in a transcendent way, where God is the one who is bringing the force into the universe to animate us all, but also God is present in the food, in the universe, in the world around us that sustains us in our everyday life. We are called into more balance, into greater things by God, but we are also called to be sustained and um, cared for in the here and now. When we open ourselves to Chi as spirit, as a translation of spirit, 
we open ourselves to a new way of understanding God moving in the world. Like a diamond, we hold it up and we get to see new facets when we understand, when we bring new contexts, new theologies into what we're doing. Um, in Chi, we find ourselves daily connected in a daily sense to the divine, but also in a transcendent sense. We are, we are nourished by God and called towards greater balance. We find ourselves revitalized when we are weak. We find ourselves calmed when we are anxious. In Chi, the echo of God's breath reverberates in all things, and we are called to join in. So I'm going to pray here, and we're going to say communion. I'm going to pray by reading our, our verse from before. I'm going to substitute Chi for spirit. And afterwards, let's pray. And afterward, I will pour out my Chi on all people. Your son and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, my chi will be poured out in those days. I will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth, and blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the, of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.